This is Nate Milburn bringing you your AMSSM Journal Club podcast. This podcast is designed for residents and fellows alike to help get a better knowledge of seminal papers in sports medicine. Today, we're having a special episode of the Journal Club podcast where we won't be reviewing a single article, but rather applying knowledge of multiple articles towards a common issue we're all experiencing, COVID. It has been an unusual year for all healthcare providers, and there have been some additional unique issues that have presented themselves in the sports medicine world. While there continues to be ongoing research on the impact of COVID infection, which has been estimated at 17% of the NCAA population and caused logistical issues at every level of sport, there are now entirely new waves of common medical issues facing our society, which we hope to touch on today. The majority of this talk will focus on what the pandemic has inflicted on the physical and mental well-being of our patients and how we can help guide them back safely to activity. With that, I'm so happy to introduce our guest speaker for this special episode, Dr. Drew Watson, a pediatrics and sports medicine trained physician from the University of Wisconsin. He's a team physician for the men's hockey team and men's and women's swimming teams, the men's golf team, and the softball team. His special interests include the prevention and management of sports-related injuries, as well as performance enhancement in competitive athletes. Dr. Watson, thanks so much for coming on our podcast. I know how incredibly busy this time of year is for everyone. Thanks, Nate. It's really an honor to get a chance to talk about this. I'm really excited. I'd like to jump right into the questions, if that's okay. So first, anecdotally, what kind of injuries are you seeing as people are getting back into exercise, stuff like stress fractures, patellofemoral syndrome, what's kind of coming through the clinic right now? Yeah, I think this on some level was predicted by a lot of people that we saw the reductions in physical activity during the pandemic, that as people started to get more and more active, not only as restrictions eased, but as we kind of, in my part of the country, moved into warmer months, that we were going to see more kind of overuse injuries. And I think that has worn itself out. And in adults, we are certainly seeing more bone stress injuries. We're certainly seeing more, you know, patellofemoral pain. I think among older adults, as we're kind of transitioning back to outdoor activities, we are seeing more kind of flare-ups of arthritic joints. Um, and tendinopathy is another just kind of overuse injury. In our younger athletes, I think we were really particularly worried about this. When we saw big decreases in physical activity, we had a lot of concerns that as we got back to playing sports particularly, that we might see upticks in certain types of injuries. And I think clinically what we're seeing is, is really kind of in line with that. A lot of apophysitis, a lot of tendinopathy in our younger athletes, patellofemoral pain. I think when you lose this much time of activity as you're growing, you really have meaningful changes in in mechanics around particular joints. And as you get back to loading them with sometimes really sudden increases in activity, you end up with these overuse issues. Um, Anecdotally, I'd say we are actually seeing a fair amount of, of traumatic injuries as well. I think it will remain to be seen whether this is truly an increase relative to before the pandemic, but certainly within our clinic and in reports from our athletic trainers, we're hearing about a lot of fractures, a lot of ligament injuries that we maybe don't see quite as often normally. And I think there's some concern that that's a function of returning to activities too rapidly before we can adapt properly. And then what can we do as sports medicine practitioners, whether it's for an athlete or any other patient to help prevent these kinds of injuries? Yeah, I think really what we're talking about is balancing stress and recovery. I mean, we've known a lot of this information even before the pandemic that in order to adapt properly to the sort of stresses we get from exercise, we have to not only 
gradually increase the stress that we're putting on the body, but we also have to make sure that between those bouts of stress, we have adequate recovery. And I think we sometimes particularly lose sight of recovery as part of this process in ways that we can facilitate adaptation before bouts of stress. So generally speaking, I think we try and counsel patients to make sure that as they return to activity, it's relatively gradual, that it isn't a dramatic return to the sort of activity they might've been doing you know, over a year ago that they have not been doing, but also trying to prioritize things like sleep and proper nutrition and ensuring that between the bouts of exercise, they're really doing everything that they can in order to facilitate adaptation to ensure that they don't accumulate deficits that can lead to issues around overtraining and injury. So for me, it's really sort of trying to prioritize that balance. But I think what a lot of people don't pay enough attention to is the recovery in between and trying to highlight that in order to make sure that people adapt the way that we would want to develop resilient structures to develop cardiovascular benefits and all the fitness benefits that seem to protect against injury. And I think that kind of goes along with some of these programs we've seen pop up online, like the couch to 5k and the none to run and things like that, where it's starting slow and letting your body kind of ease back into it. Yeah. And I think one of the important elements of those, particularly if you're going from being really completely sedentary to active, is it isn't going from being sedentary right into large amounts of running. It's a, it's a combination of walking with increasing amounts of running alongside it as you kind of gradually progress over weeks, sometimes months, into a full running program. And I think recognizing that the best way to do that for long-term establishment of an exercise program is to just be gradual about it recognizing the health benefits that you get from any amount of exercise over being sedentary are significant, right? It isn't like you're waiting around for three months to get the benefits of, of running several hours a week. Just transitioning from no activity to any activity will have pretty short-term benefits for a whole bunch of different health uh, endpoints. And then are there any kinds of guidelines we can base our recommendations on when we give advice to our patients regarding the amount or types of exercise they should be focusing on? Sure. So I think the, the easiest ones to, to access that, that I try and incorporate are those from the CDC that are just highlighting different amounts of exercise as kind of a, a minimum for both adults and kids. So for adults, just to put numbers to it, the recommendation is 150 minutes of moderate activity a week or 75 minutes of vigorous activity. In addition, they recommend a couple of days of around 30 minutes of strength training. That can seem kind of overwhelming if you're not already active. So again, I think it's important to recognize that the health benefits you get from transitioning to no activity at any are pretty significant and they continue to increase. So these are kind of the recommendations to get really substantive benefits in a whole bunch of areas of overall health. But even as you're kind of in the process of transitioning to that, we expect that you'll see health benefits. And children, it's a little bit more. We really try and get them 60 minutes of moderate to vigorous activity a day, ideally every day of the week. Um, within that, we try and get three days a week in which they're doing vigorous activity, three days a week of muscle strengthening, and three days a week of bone strengthening, recognizing that sometimes those things overlap, right? Aerobic activity and bone strengthening activity where we're doing impact with the ground, both would get captured by something like running, but really trying to 
prioritize the value of large amounts of physical activity in childhood to transition into long-term adult health and really lifelong physical activity. And just to you know, belabor this point a little bit, you know, a lot of these are built around cardiovascular and muscle and bone health, but the benefits of this sort of physical activity really extend into a whole bunch of different areas that I think people may be less familiar with. There are obvious benefits for metabolic health in terms of the prevention or management uh, of diabetes. It reduces your risk of cancer. It improves functional capacity in older, result, in older adults to reduce the risk of things like falls, promote independent living. It improves brain health in terms of mental health, in terms of cognitive function. It improves sleep, quality of life. And I think maybe most importantly, not just reduces the risk of mortality from cardiovascular causes, but the amount of exercise being recommended by the CDC for both adults and children is associated with significant reductions in all-cause mortality. So really, there's, there's kind of no end to the benefits you can get from this sort of physical activity. And I think as we're moving out of COVID-19, trying to prioritize the reduction of barriers to activity for everyone is really a significant public health goal. And kind of piggybacking off of that, I think that every health professional has seen the impact that this pandemic has had on mental health of virtually everyone in the country. And some studies are estimating that 30 to 50% of Americans meet criteria for a mood disorder. And that being said, what, what is the evidence behind exercise or mental health? And is there anything that we should really be honing in on and telling our patients about how important it is for them? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There's just more and more data coming out about the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic on mental health for really all populations, whether that's adults or children, particularly the young athletes that we work with. And I think part of this is related to the loss of physical activity. Certainly, there's a lot of stress around the pandemic itself, but knowing what we know about the relationship between physical activity and mental health, we and others have seen you know, decreases of up to 50% or sometimes even more in overall physical activity that contribute to things like worsening sleep, worsening well-being, worse mental health. So clearly there's a multifactorial issue here, but the loss of physical activity likely has a big role to play. Prior research before the pandemic suggested that physical activity was strongly antidepressant to the extent that it is as effective in some cases as medication. And in those instances where uh, patients are taking antidepressant medication, it has an additive benefit. Similarly, it has tremendous anti-anxiety effects. So in many cases, promoting exercise is a vital part of the management of depression and anxiety for people that struggle with these. It also, as I mentioned, has a significant benefit for sleep, which is part of promoting good well-being and good mental health as well. I think there's really no shortage of evidence for both children and adults that being physically active has a lot of significant benefits for your mental health overall. And just to kind of highlight some of the things that we're looking at a lot in adolescent athletes, there seem to be additional benefits from organized sport participation even beyond physical activity. So whether that's, you know, the establishment of peer networks, role modeling from adult coaches and staff, increased self-esteem, uh, decreased risk-taking behavior, even improved academic performance and maybe lifelong financial success among adolescents that participate in sports. We're trying to figure out how can we adequately promote physical activity for everyone, but even in the light of the kind of 
transition maybe out of some of the restrictions around the pandemic? How can we decrease barriers to adolescents to improve organized sport participation so that they can get all of these additional benefits and beyond just those physical activity? I think we and others, you know, among our, the athletic populations that we work with, we're really kind of struck by the degree to which mental health worsened among young athletes. I think this was true across a number of populations, but particularly among adolescents in whom we were already in a mental health crisis before COVID-19, we saw really unsettling increases in depression and anxiety during the early pandemic. I think what's reassuring is that as we have started to transition back to sport participation in some areas through the fall and more and more through the spring, we're actually seeing that returning to sport has a significant mental health benefit, not only in terms of depression and anxiety, but also in terms of improving quality of life, some of which appears to be explained by increases in physical activity, but not all. So a fair amount of that appears to be about restoring kind of athletic identity, restoring the peer uh, social networks that athletes have and allowing them to, to return to some degree of normal participation in sports that has benefits not only for them physically, but also mentally. That's great. Again, thanks so much, Dr. Watson, for coming on the podcast today. I think that you know, our discussion today really helps us frame what we're going to be talking about with our patients for the next probably year or even longer as we start to hopefully get back to some kind of normalcy. Yeah, I think we're all hoping that, you know, as we transition away from some of these restrictions and kind of can return to normal, we can not only not only restore what a lot of the things were that athletes and active adults were doing, but even start to think about ways that we can reduce some of the barriers that existed previously and maybe transition back to an even more active population than we had before. Awesome. All right. Well, again, thank you so much. This has been Nate Milburn with AMSSM and our podcast series. We look forward to having you next time when we review another article.